For nine years, Joanne Wismer worked on her side project while also serving as a lunch lady. She would come home and work on it in the evenings, on the weekends, and over the summer. And in 2016, this side project finally became a finished product. She wrote a book based on her experiences in school nutrition and featured stories from other school nutrition professionals across the country. On this episode of Pep Talks, a child nutrition podcast, I'll talk to Joanne, the author of Hairnets and Aprons, about her experiences, her fondest food service memories, and her advice to all school nutrition professionals. I'm your host, Cheyenne Meyer, and this is Pep Talks. So let's start out by you telling me your name and your current position in child nutrition. I am Joanne Wismer. I'm a food service manager in an elementary school. And how long have you been in your position now? I guess I've been a manager for about 15 years, but I've been in food service in the same school district for 20 years this year. So what was your first position before you became a manager? When I first started out, I was hired as a salad person. I made the salads. I kept the salad bar ready to go for the different lunches when they came in. I only did that for a short period of time, maybe maybe a year or so. And our cook was leaving at that school. That was a middle school. The cook was leaving. So I applied for that position, and I learned everything, I most of what I know through her, through the cook. You recently fulfilled a dream to write a book about your experiences as a lunch lady, and your book, Hairnets and Aprons, was released in 2016. Tell me a little bit more about your book. How did you make this dream a reality? Well, whenever I was out around lunch ladies, we would always be sharing our stories. What happened to you? What happened to me? It, would, it was just something we do when we get together. We tell about what the students told us and what the teachers and whatever, how things are going. So I kept thinking, I was thinking, I ought to write a book. And everybody has said that. We could write a book. So what happened was I had went to the shore in New Jersey. I live in Pennsylvania. And I had made the arrangements about a week ahead of time, and it was supposed to be a beautiful weekend weather, but as it turned out, as we got closer to the date, it was supposed to rain the whole entire time. So my son was going with me, we went there, and we walked up to the boardwalk because it was not raining, and the sun just peeked through the clouds. And I looked up and I said, well, I'm not here to sit on the beach, which is something I love to do, so why am I here? And I was thinking about the money I spent and the waste that it would be. And I heard a voice, and I'm not one that normally hears voices, but I heard a voice and it said, you're going to write a book about your job as a lunch lady. And I turned to my son and said, I just heard a voice that said, I'm going to write a book about my job. And he said, cool, you could do that. So after that, uh, it just was something that I started collecting stories from people wherever I went. I started writing them down or having them dictate them to me. And I made files. I just kept collecting and I started writing out things that happened. And it just progressed from there. And it was not a quick little thing. It took me seven, eight, maybe even nine. I think we're going on nine years that it took before. It was about eight years before it actually became a thing. What, what happened was I started, since I was planning on publishing a book, I started attending things and I 
was telling everybody about it and everybody was all psyched for it. So they were, I had, I actually went online and I took, uh, found school districts across the country and I mailed them a, a little thing that said, I'm collecting stories. Do you have any? And I received stories back from people from all over the country. So that was pretty incredible that people thought that this was a good idea and that they would support that, support my project. And I just, it just, it took a long time because I only worked on it on the summer. I worked on it at night once in a while, but it just took a long time. And then I found a, a person who helped me, a book mentor, and I gave him what I have. He gave me a lot of suggestions. And so I, it, I changed it up. And then in May last year, my brother died unexpectedly and I realized that life can be so short and I was thinking if something happened to me and I have three full copy paper boxes here of files that were never actually put together in a sense it was never actually published. So that was the catalyst that made me seek out someone that could actually make this happen. So that's that's briefly how it happened. In the book you told about beginning your professional career as a secretary and then later a member of the hotel's event staff, how in the world did you make the jump into being a lunch lady? I was in the office in clerical field when I was in high school. We worked, I did co-op. You worked half a day, went to school half a day. And that was all I knew. I did not go to college. So I thought that was, I was a secretary. I knew dictation. Back then you had dictation uh, into a dictaphone so I could do that and I stayed in that field until my son was born and when he was born I decided I wanted to be home when he was home so I needed but I wanted to work part-time and that required me to find something else and it's not as easy to find part-time clerical work especially not back in 1980 I would say 89 so what I did is I ended up getting fast, a fast food job that helped me to get into the food industry. I worked at a place that was known for their chicken. So I worked in the back, mostly preparing the chicken, the fried chicken, and I really enjoyed that. So I thought, well, this is something that I could do. In chapter five of Hairnets and Aprons, you shared an experience that stuck with you forever in your career as a school nutrition professional. Tell me about the Thanksgiving meal. Yes, that story has always stuck with me. What happened was my son, we lived in a town, not where I live now, but we went to, we, it was more of a, um, it, it was, it had a lot of low income people. And so what I had decided to do is when in second grade, they were having a feast. So they were having the, the children dressed up as pilgrim and Indians. And I asked if I could prepare a feast for the children. And the teacher was like, really? She was very surprised that I would do that, which to me, that that was something, of course, I would want to do. So there wasn't a whole lot of homeroom moms, not like it is nowadays where you have a lot. Back then, there wasn't very many at all. But I made everything. I made the turkey, the stuffing, the I took cranberry sauce and mashed potatoes. And we I bought it all. I set it all out. The children ate as pilgrims and Indians. And the teacher had invited the principal to this feast. And when he came in, he got tears in his eyes and he said you did all this and i said yes a a feast for the children he said some of these for some of these children this will be the only thanksgiving meal they get 
which really struck me. I didn't know that people in my own hometown might not have a big family gathering where they got to have all this food. And I'll never forget seeing those tears in his eyes and how happy my doing that for the kids made him. And it, it just, it, I still, when I tell that story, it still gives me goosebumps because it was, it was an experience for me, a learning experience for me too. So another thing that stuck out to me in the book is that in Chapter 14, you said that for school nutrition professionals, lunch money is the root of all evil. Walk me through that statement. I think if you talk to many lunch ladies, you will find out that we do believe that, or at least I know from my experience that lunch money is a rule of all evil, especially nowadays, since we have all the lunch shaming in the news. Um, whenever you see food service or lunch ladies in the news, it's usually an issue related to lunch money. The students don't have lunch money and we are taking away their meals or we are, they're not getting what everybody else gets, things like that. And I know that the government and everyone is working together to try to, to not have that happen. But for lunch money in general is, in my experience, it's, it's, our, it's the manager's responsibility to make sure that the monies for the accounts come in. So we do our best, but you can't take someone and physically make them you know, pay money, if they, especially if they are paid. Now we have a free and reduced. If you are low income, you can get free and reduced. And what my experience has been is that you are on your you're free to reduce, you fill it, you have to fill that out every year. And what happens is it expires in October, the first or second week of October. And what I have happened is the parents do not fill out the paperwork one time. So then they're cut off from receiving their benefits. And then what we have is the charging goes up. And what the parents don't understand is that if they would have done the paperwork on time, the charges wouldn't have incurred. And even though you fill out the paperwork and you are approved, you still owe those monies to the cafeteria because we are not getting reimbursements for that meal. So in my experience, we are always bugging people gently, as gently as we're allowed to bug people to make sure you get your applications in, to put money in your account. A lot of times the children don't tell the parents that they are owed lunch money. Sometimes you have students that do not pay back the monies due until they graduate from high school, which is a requirement. So they, in order to graduate, usually you have to have that money paid back. So sometimes they can go through the whole district for all those years and not have paid back their lunch dues. And as you know, I'm sure that all over the country that there are hundreds of thousands of dollars owed to food service in school districts all over the country. So it is, it is something that we have to think about. Throughout the book, you shared your own stories as well as the stories that were submitted to you by child nutrition staff across the country. Tell me one of your favorite stories from the front lines based on your own experiences. One of the stories in the book that is one of my favorites that's from me is the petition letter. It's about when one day when I went to get the lunch money, they used to put it in a little box. Now most of it is done online, but they would put their checks in a box and I would get them. And I found a letter that was addressed to me and it was saying that they would like for water, a bottle of water to be included with every meal free. And what had happened was I had taken 
a someone didn't have money to buy extra and I had take they had a bottle of water so I had taken it off her tray a day or two ago and then I guess it maybe was probably about a week before that just before the, I got this letter and it was signed it was about a three or four page letter and all these students had signed this letter saying that they wanted it the water free or else is how they had put it and when I got it at first I laughed and then the more I thought about it I was very hurt and thinking I am here every day doing everything I can to to make it a good experience for these children. And then I get this letter that all these children signed and it was quite quite an ordeal for me. I, it, that stayed with me for a long time. I used to carry the letter around with me. And I in the book, I share the whole story about how I we had a family gathering and we all were, you know, I was had told them about the petition letter as we called it. And they, we all sat around and we were, having wine and relaxing and we were you know, the people were saying well have a glass of wine it's included with your meal so we were just you know discussing that and it was it i finally did get over all that but that took quite a long time but that's from my, one of my stories from my experience yes can you share one of your favorite stories that was shared to you by another child nutrition professional Yes, one of my favorites, uh, the heartwarming stories to me is about a woman whose son, Phil, and I don't think that, I think that this was one I had submitted when I had sent out letters to school districts, but her son uh, went to the school where she was a lunch lady, and she tells the story of how her son was embarrassed that his mother was the woman behind the counter wearing a hairnet and an apron, so she had to act like she didn't know him whenever he came in. And then eventually she goes to a wrestling meet of his and then the teammates realize that that's his mom and that that's the lunch lady. And uh, she was really worried about what would happen to him at school, figure, you know, wondering if he would, you know, have some, uh, some negative comments about that. But what happened is when he came in school the next day, he came in and he actually introduced all of his friends to her and they were all genuinely friendly and happy to know who she was. And he came to her later and said, thanks for being a cool mom. So that, that story, it doesn't get much better than that is when, you know, they really accept what we do and that they are happy and embrace the fact that we are serving all their friends and you know all their friends food at the end of the book you offered four pieces of advice for all school nutrition professionals to heed as they continue their careers so let's walk through each of these the first one of course is keep training what does that mean back when i wrote the book we weren't required by the federal government to have training but we are nowadays so that has changed but all employees are now required to have a certain amount of hours as training because they have to prove to the state that we are trained. But what I, uh, what I meant was that we need to keep up with training so that we can learn more skills to help to make our jobs better. Um, from training, I've learned knife skills. I've attended workshops about how to handle employees. I've learned software to input our food production records are all on the computer because nowadays our 30 to 40% of our job is paperwork. 
and we've learned how to use Microsoft publishers to make flyers. And what I laugh is that it's not easy to teach some of us old dogs new tricks, and we can be very resistant to learning new things. But if we don't keep up with what's going on, especially with our clientele, the students, the high schoolers, the elementary students, then we'll be left behind. And I did hear that one time at a, at a conference that if you don't continue to learn and grow, you will be left behind. And we certainly don't want that because we want to have the students come in to buy lunch, which is our job security. Your second piece of advice in the book is to build morale. How should our listeners do this in their operations? Morale is is hard when you're a lunch lady because whenever you see food service is on the news or a story online or in the newspaper, it's usually not for a good reason. On TV, whenever they depict the lunch lady as someone that uh, I'll say is is low on the totem pole, and it, it takes a toll on us. At least it does for me. I had seen an article. I'm not sure if it was by you by your on one of your sites on your Facebook or, but it was about how a mother had went through the line and was taking pictures of the, the cereal that was being offered. She was saying we need more healthier options. And, and I remember reading that and, and just feeling like, Oh my gosh, it just, it does. It, it, it sometimes is very frustrating. I think you're doing everything you can to get children in, but you're still being put down for doing what, is actually not even my, not even my, I don't make the menus. I just follow them. But morale, how I think we can do better with morale is by promoting ourselves, um, letting teachers know who we are and make sure that they're on board with promoting food service and ha- make having the kids buy lunch. Uh, in my district, what I, we have a, our third grade has a mystery reader and I go to the classroom, I send clues ahead of time, and I just tell five clues about myself and what she'll read them once a day for that week. And then on that Friday, I go and I show up and they are, had tried to guess who I was. And I read a story, I read one of the stories, The Lunch Lady from the Black Lagoon, which is a, a funny little story. So I read that to them. So that's one, read how, one thing how I promote or sell, you know, promote lunch ladies or promote myself. And we also have done, we do bulletin board promotions with pictures of ourselves with a little bio in the beginning of the year. But morale really is up to us. And I think that we have to respect ourselves and the job that we do or no one else will. Uh, We have to remember that what our job is, is not only the title lunch lady, but we serve nutritious meals to America's hungry children. And that's my tagline when people say, what do you do? I don't always say a lunch lady. I'll say, I serve nutritious meals to America's hungry children. And I also sometimes, I sometimes with a smile, (laughs) you try to get that smile out there every day. And I know sometimes it's very hard, but that's how I think we can build morale. But it mostly has to start within from ourselves by respecting what we do. Absolutely. And then the third piece of advice that you gave was to get involved. So how can school nutrition professionals get involved without overstepping their boundaries? I think we can get involved when we can. For instance, our school district has us attend our back to school and open house functions, which is a great way to meet the parents and the teachers. 
There are outside functions that you can attend. Our school the other day just had a, uh, they have different fundraisers outside. If you can, if you can get to them. Uh, we, we actually get paid to attend the back to school nights in the open house. So that is very nice for us. We probably wouldn't get attended, you know, get paid to attend a fundraiser. But I think that it's important for us to be known throughout the district. Also, we can, I, you know, it's hard to have time to do all these extra things, but if you don't, it's important to get them involved so that the community knows who you are. We also have a Sunday bar day where a lot of the parents come in and help us serve the Sunday bar day. So each one of those parents that come in, they get to know us. And I find that they are amazed at what we have on the line, especially with our fruits and vegetables. They'll say, my son came in and said, he only, that you only had pizza and milk. And I say, no, look, this is what we have every day. So what does, students are telling the parents isn't always what is actually true. It might be based on what they saw, but there is always so many other things. But I do caution, you know, we are already tired. We are exhausted. It's a very, very physical job as any working functioning lunch lady will tell you. We managers, I'm a working manager, certainly. I don't just sit behind the desk and, and tell everybody how to do anything. And we are tired. So by don't overstep, I what I mean is don't get involved in so much things that you start to resent what you have on your plate because then you'll be you, then it won't serve anybody well to to go and do something that you really don't want to do. So that's that's what I meant by that. Your final piece of advice is to get out and attend meetings and conferences and conventions. Why is this important in child nutrition? School Food Service has chapter meetings, dinner meetings, conferences, workshops, and a plethora of things that you can attend. And so in the book, I ask, why should you attend them? And for me, I love to learn. I take classes whenever I can. Uh, Years ago, our schools used to pay for us to attend the conferences. Uh, That's not necessarily, and to go to chapter dinner meetings and things like that, but that's not really the case these days, but whenever I can do that, I do. I have one coming up in December. I always enjoy going, but you get to you get to hear that you're not alone with your concerns, and usually there's some kind of training, especially at the chapter dinner meetings and at the conferences, of course, and I've had some fun times. When you go to a conference, especially the, the, the big one, the School Nutrition Association conference, this, the big one that's once a year, they treat you like royalty. You get to see uh, people that come. I met, uh, I met, just met so many people. Well, not met them, but seen people and heard wonderful speakers from these conferences. But it's it's how I got so many of my stories by talking to them, and they you can learn people managing skills. So for me, it's about learning and continuing to grow in your job. You can. I've done this job now for 15 years. And it can get a little stagnant, but the more you attend, the more you learn, you bring home recipes from these meetings and conferences and workshops. So you can take it to your food service director or supervisor, and usually they're willing to give it a try. 
So um, I'm always looking forward to attending something new. And I see the big one. It's in Las Vegas next year. So that sounds like a great time. Yeah, that's going to be super fun. Hopefully we'll see you there. I hope so. So if someone from the child nutrition sphere came to you asking for advice for following one of their goals, maybe writing a book themselves, maybe running a marathon or opening a side business, what would your advice to them be? One of the things for me in my experience is that the job enables us to pursue other interests. I work from 7 to 2.30, which leaves me time to take classes at night, uh, join clubs, and, and actually take time for, for myself. My mother is in a nursing home, so getting off at 2.30 is wonderful for me because I can be there in time to, to help her with dinner. So I, I love the hours, and I think that you know this job does enable us to do that. So my advice is to take advantage of the hours especially and go for it. I do understand, yes, indeed, we are tired, but trying a new venture can energize you. And as I found out with my brother's uh, passing, that life can be too short. And I think you could start small to see how you like something and learn about whatever interests you and then seek out people that can help you. When I was writing my book, there was so many people that wanted to help me. So if you, if you want to write a book, start there. Find anybody that there are so many people that have written books that maybe haven't had them published or they did it themselves as I did. So there are a lot of people that will help. They can always reach out to me. I do have a hairnets uh, and aprons Facebook page and I'm always willing to, to help with that. But I don't think that you're ever too old to try something new. I published my book last year. I am so I was what, 59 years old, and you would think, wow, and I had no college education, never took a writing course in my life, which my early manuscripts show that, but there are people out there that can take what you do and make it into something real. So give it a try and go for it. What would you say is next for you as an author and as a lunch lady? Next for me, I always say retirement, which of course, uh, I am looking forward to that, but I still have a few years to go. So of what I can, what I say is, um, I do have another book in mind. It is not related to being a lunch lady. It's about the journey I've been going through with my mother. She has dementia, so that is has been quite a journey and a learning experience for me. So I've been doing what I did the first time with my hairnets and aprons book. I am collecting notes and files and typing them up and just I just add to it it's not something that I have to do like the book seemed like something I had to do but this is something that I want to do so we'll see where that leads me if I actually can get together and do that but I want to continue I'm a Toastmaster which is a public speaking and leadership club and I want to continue on my journey for that. And what I mainly am doing these days is looking to put some joy in my life. I mean, between the job and my mother and things, life can be very heavy. So I want to find some fun things. I'm also right now taking improv classes, which has been so much fun. You, you laugh a lot and you learn so much about yourself. So I'm enjoying that right now. That's awesome. Where can our listeners go if they want to purchase the Hairnets and Aprons book for themselves or someone they know? 
Hairnets and Aprons is available on creativespace.com, which is Amazon's publishing place where you, that's how I published it myself. It is self-published, even though I hired somebody to do it, it's still considered self-published. So you can go on Creative Space or you can go on Amazon. You know, a lot of people have Prime and they'll have to pay for shipping. So most people do buy it through Amazon. So you can purchase it there. As I said a little earlier, I have a Hairnets and Aprons Facebook page. And I also have a website, Hairnets and Aprons. I'm not very good at maintaining that. I do need to work on that. But I do have that page too. And there's a buy, buy my book uh, button on there too, as is on my Facebook page too. Is there anything else you'd like to tell our listeners before we close out this episode? What I'd like to say to lunch ladies out there is uh, hold your head up, lunch ladies. Uh, we got this. I know we have the big Thanksgiving meal coming up and we're all saying, oh my gosh, it's so much work. But this is what we do. And this is what we do. We could serve anywhere from what we're probably serving from 100 to 500 students in an hour and a half. We got this. This is this is just another day in our life. So hold your head up high and remember that you are providing these children with a meal that keeps them going throughout the day. And that is certainly something to be proud of. Joanne, thank you so much for joining me for this podcast and for telling us about all the great things that you're doing. Oh, you're welcome. It was a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. We'd like to thank Joanne for joining us on the podcast to discuss her book, her experiences, and her advice for all school nutrition staff. With Christmas right around the corner, hairnets and aprons would be the perfect gift for your favorite child nutrition professional. Just head over to Amazon and search hairnets and aprons in the book section. You can also connect with hairnets and aprons on Facebook. And while you're at it, you can connect with us on Facebook and LinkedIn as well by searching for Primero Edge. Don't forget to check out our blog at primeroedge.com forward slash blog. And to listen to more podcast episodes like this one, you can subscribe to our iTunes and SoundCloud channel or just head over to PremierWedge.com forward slash podcast. We hope you have a great Thanksgiving holiday, and remember that we at Premier Wedge are very thankful for all child nutrition professionals and the important jobs that you do day in and day out. Closing out this episode, I'm your host, Cheyenne Meyer, and that was your full serving of child nutrition.